I want to start by um, just reading you a quote from uh, Mary Jo Kane, a friend of mine at the University of Minnesota. She says, quote, we are in what I call the best of times and the worst of times with respect to media representations of female athletes. Uh, and if you think about it, there's a lot of truth to that statement. I mean, if I think about how are we in the best of times, if you're, well, let me ask, how many of you are, are women's sports fans? How many women's sports fans? You can access so much now in terms of coverage of women's sports via the web. Uh, you know, you can learn, uh, get, a, get a lot of information. Uh, there are lots of women's sports leagues popping up, uh, you know, women's college sports uh, and high school sports thanks to Title IX. We certainly are, in many ways, the best of times. What do you think Mary Jo meant by the worst of times? Any ideas there? The worst of times. Does that resonate with anybody? Very competitive. Okay, it's very competitive, and Title IX really had, had, I think, had a lot to do with changing the culture for women's sports. When we think about media representations, does it does it resonate with you that we could be in the worst of times? And we certainly have seen that. Uh, we're also going to look at, uh, and, and I think w what Mary Jo meant, meant here also was the way that female athletes are represented in the media, uh, and the emphasis. Uh, that the media put on uh, female athletes. And when I show you some of these images, you're going to see they're very familiar images, but I'm, I might ask you to look at them in new ways. First of all, let's talk about uh, interest in sports. Uh, and I'm not going to tell you anything you don't already know here. Female sports participation has exploded. I mean, it, if you look at the numbers, it's just absolutely phenomenal uh, what has happened. For instance, right now we've got the largest number of intercollegiate sports teams for, for women that we've ever had. It's like 6,000 across the country, uh, according to a new study. The downside, and again, best of times, worst of times is kind of my theme here. Uh, the downside is we continue to have uh, the coaching disparity. In other words, uh, the percentage of women who were involved in coaching female athletes pre-Title IX was actually pretty high. Post-Title IX, we've seen that number uh, decline. Uh, and so women struggle to get those leadership positions coaching sports. And if you've been watching, uh, if you've been watching the NCAA tournament at all, you've probably, probably noticed that. Sports consumption by women is increasing. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that. Again, we have a best of times, worst of times. Uh, it certainly is increasing, but on the other hand, uh, w we have a lot of women who are opting not to consume women's sports, but instead moving toward consumption of men's sports. Uh, and I, I'm not trying to say there's anything wrong with consuming men's sports. We'd like to see women consume both women's and men's sports. Uh, interest in careers is increasing. This is, uh, this is really exciting for us at the Curley Center. Uh, when we uh, launched the Curley Center in 2003, 40% of the applicants were women. We have a strong interest among young women in the College of Communications in sports communication, and that's really exciting to see. We see lots of women in our classes. Uh, when the first year I taught sports media and society, which is a course I teach in the college, the first year I taught it, I'd say... 10% of the class uh, was women. Now, it's easily half the class are women. So we're really seeing some growth there, and that's nice. Uh, and I would say also advocacy for women has been institutionalized. And what I mean by that is we have the Women's Sports Foundation. Uh, we have associations like the uh, Association for Women in Sports Media. We have female athletic media executives. We have, we have institutions, the National Women's Law Center, institutions that are really uh, advocate for women in sports. And then my last point here is media coverage. I, I want to explore how far we've come. And we could talk about, uh, again, the pros and cons right away when we think about uh, ESPN. If you're an NCAA uh, women's uh, basketball fan, you're getting to, to watch those games. Uh, on the other hand, we have to think about how women in general are being portrayed. All right, first thing I want to talk about are the trends for interest in women's sports. And you probably, you may not be able to see the screen very well, so I'm going to tell you basically what it says, okay? And this is, these are statistics from last year, exactly a year ago when a study was done on, you know, how, what women's sports are women and men consuming. And what you can see here, the top is the women. This is what female sports fans, what they're saying in terms of their consumption of women's sports. And this bottom section is men. And I can just tell you, again, I, I understand you're not going to be able to see this as well as I can, that uh, for the most part, men uh, consume just as much, if not more, 
women's sports than women do. Uh, this is WNBA uh, women's tennis, women's college basketball, and the LPGA are the are the the sports up here that are represented. But but none of the no fan you know none of these sports cracks twenty five percent in terms of female sports fans and male sports fans saying, I consume women's sports. Yes, Steve. Is this television or include live gate or what's the uh, or is it just general expressed interest? What's the yeah, it's a great question. It's a general expressed interest. This was an ESPN poll where they simply asked, are you interested in following these sports? And that's a good question because it's, it's one thing to say I express interest. It's another thing to, to say, yes, I watched last night. Yeah, question? Yeah, no, that's a great question. That was the WNBA, a spike in, in interest in the WNBA in 2006. And I was actually going to... Uh, I was trying to think what ha you know what happened with the WNBA in 2006. Candace Parker, uh, she was still playing college ball in 2000. I was trying to think was there. I don't have an answer for you, so I'm wondering if anyone else does. WNBA in 2006, if there was anything in particular that was comes. There's something involved with the organization. Some kind, of, yeah. I was, one, I was, I should have looked this up to see if there was a big expansion of the WNBA in 2006 that could have accounted for that. Yeah, Steve. Um, Bill Lambeer, had, uh, who was a famous NBA player, was coaching the Detroit team in the WNBA into the championship, and they had some really good. Yeah. Players. Yeah, the shock. Yeah, that could be a big part of it. Yep. Yeah. So I'll have to do a little bit more research before I show the slide next time, won't I? All right. Let's keep going. Uh, what I want to talk about now is I just want us to think about the role in sports in, of sports in society because I want to give you a hypothesis that I tend to work off of uh, when we think about sports. Um, so I want to talk about just the role of sports in society. So I just want us to think about for just a minute why do people consume sports and why do we put so much value on sports in society? And, and I'm taking us down to you know my sports and society class here and what I kind of walk students through here but this is a an obvious question but why do you think sports are so popular in our society good excuse to sit down on the sofa for hours entertainment excellent yes good excuse to sit down on the sofa for hours yeah and have your favorite snacks and drinks and relax yeah entertainment it's a big one I want us to think for a minute about the values um, uh, think about all the tax. If you think about all the tax money we pour into uh, support of sports programs, for instance, youth sports, uh, public dollars, uh, how much money we pour into uh, stadium, and again, that would go stadium, and that would go back to entertainment. But I think there's it's beyond entertainment. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, keeping them out of trouble, right? I'm going to put my kid on the soccer team. Yep, yep. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I really think that a reason that, for instance, we value it so much in public education in our country and the reason that we're willing to spend money on it and protect sports is teamwork, competition, fair play, perseverance, hard work, and healthy lifestyles, right? We associate these things with sports. Yeah, right on the money. Uh, but... Here's something else I, I want to just uh, propose to you. Again, this is, tends to be a hypothesis I work off of, that these are the values that we talk about when it comes to sports. But the values that, that I think sports plays a, a huge role in our society is in doing this, to reinforce gender roles and ideals. That's something we don't talk about overtly, but I think that a primary role of spectator sports and participation in sports in our culture is to reinforce gender roles and ideas, to make sure everybody's on the same page about what it means to be masculine and what it means to be feminine. That happens in all kinds of ways. It starts with, the, you know, when we segregate the kids when they're in grade school, right? And, and we, we, we see segregation of sports participation as very natural. We need questions. But what does, I, and I'm not, I'm not saying that I, uh, I'm not trying to make an argument for or against segregation in sports. I'm just saying that all these things work together, I think, to, to really uh, educate us and, and again, sort of uh, inculcate us in terms of uh, gender norms.
And if you think about it, one thing I just want to point out is that many of us, when I ask my students this, they, they, they chime in right away. When I say, you know, if I ask you, uh, football, is football masculine or, or feminine? Masculine, right? I mean, that's kind of a no-brainer. And we'll talk about, let's talk about the, the recent Winter Olympics. Okay. But we don't see, we, there are certain women's sports that the only time we're going to see them is within the context of the Olympics. Yeah. that is, and, and again, best of times, worst of times, there's a sign of progress, right, that we saw uh, that we saw women's hockey as much as we did in the Olympics. But if we think about it, if I ask my students about, say, figure skating. Yeah. I mean, and this gets down to, in my mind, this gets down to, uh, you know, I like to use the theory of cognitive dissonance with my students. I'll say, you know, you talked about entertainment, the role of sports being entertaining. You know, when we sit down in front of that TV and we go to watch sports, this is where this idea of masculine and feminine sports fits in. What are we comfortable watching? What mentally do we not have to struggle with reconciling? And again, it's this idea of, are we comfortable watching women play football as a culture? So are we going to sit down and sort of just sit back and say, I'm going to be entertained? There's a, there's a, there's a degree of cognitive dissonance uh, that I think, uh, again, culturally, we gender these sports based on roles. So, you know, for men, we mentioned football. What else might we throw in here? Baseball. Baseball. Yeah, what else? I'm going to have these in order. Wrestling. Hockey. Anything else? Boxing. Basketball? Basketball? Is it, let me, we, we did a study, the Curley Center did a study where we asked folks, how do you, you know, how do you see basketball? And what, this is interesting to me, the men were far more likely to tell us it's a masculine sport. The women were more likely to tell us it's more neutral no, they weren't willing to say it was feminine. It was more, more neutral, and that's where participation, to me, comes in. The more people you have participating in a particular sport, then the more likely the population, I believe, generally will start allowing that sport to move off of masculine or feminine status. Do you follow what I'm saying? So I think, ultimately, participation in certain sports... economics and the availability at a lower family price. Yes. Yeah, you're, you're, you're right about that. There's so many factors that play like into this. arena football was at a cheaper rate than regular competition. Yep. These are the ones I'm putting up there that studies show us generally go masculine. Feminine sports, help me out here. Gymnastics. Yep, gymnastics. What else? Figure skating. Figure skating. Yeah, even, it's interesting, volleyball tends to, when we ask people, is it masculine or feminine, what do you think the men tell us? Women. The men will tell us it's more feminine. Sure. The women tell us it's more neutral. They're not. So again, participation has something to do with that. I think as more men participate competitively in, in volleyball, we'll see that start to change. I would suggest that we do have some sports that, that are, we as a culture see as more gender neutral because they allow women or men to perform masculinity or femininity. I'll give you an example, tennis right? We can have the, the really tough guy out there hitting the, you know, hitting the serves, these incredibly powerful serves. We can have a woman out there doing the same thing, but she's got earrings on and a skirt. You follow what I'm saying? The performance there, certain sports allow performance of masculinity or femininity a little bit more. Track and field. Yep. 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 Good, good. And what I, what I suggest are that our, where do you, our, our most popular spectator sports, what are they? Football, baseball, basketball. They're where we really see this performance of masculinity. Our most popular Auto spectator sports. I'm sorry? Auto racing is getting bigger, bigger, bigger. Yep. Yeah, well, I, my students always want to argue with me about auto racing when I put that up. That's not a sport. So, uh, well, yep, I hear that. Didn't mention horse racing. Either. Didn't mention horse racing, yep, yep. But again, I want us to think about, I would, I, this is another hypothesis that I tend to work off of, and that is that our most popular spectator sports in, in our culture tend to skew either highly masculine or highly feminine. Again, we're watching, we're being educated about gender roles as we watch. 
And I would suggest that's one reason, and I'm tiptoeing out here on this one because we've got lots of reasons why soccer hasn't taken off in a big way as a spectator sport. I would suggest one reason soccer hasn't taken off in the U.S. as a spectator sport is that it tends to, 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 to go neutral. It's not highly masculine or highly feminine. And again, as a culture, we, don't, we haven't consumed neutral sports in the same way we've consumed these other sports. That's in the United States. In the, you're right. It's other parts of the world. You're exactly right. Yes, you're exactly right, and that's important. U.S. culture, when it comes to sports, is unique in some key ways. So, all right, let's, let's keep going here. I want to get to some images. I want to talk about what are the images, then, of women in sports. Certainly things are improving, but uh, we've got some problems that I, that I want us to talk about. Um, this... This is probably the most famous image of a woman in sports uh, in the past, I don't know, maybe past century. Uh, this, this cover got a lot of criticism. Anybody know why? Well, yeah, sure, the, the image itself, but Newsweek also took some heat, and I think rightfully so. Is she a girl? Would we say boys rule? What we say? <laughs> they can make the font smaller. Newsweek did take some heat for this because of the use of the word girls. The only reason I point that out is, again, I'm going to throw out another crazy idea I have when I'm thinking about sports here, is that we as a culture tend to delineate between girls and women in sports. We're much more comfortable watching girls play than we are women play. And it, I would suggest to you that perhaps one reason that the WNBA struggles and co women's college ball, we tend to embrace that a little bit more, is the line between girl and woman. Again, it's a complex issue, very complicated, and it goes far beyond what I've just said. But again, just another idea that I'm toying around with. Okay. All right, let's look at some images. Here's, a, here's an image of, uh, you know, strong, strong image of active, strong active image of women in sport. We see uh, these players as active, as assertive, as tough. Again, I'm going to throw out the idea of cognitive dissonance. How comfortable are we as seeing this, sitting down and being comfortable watching this as entertainment when we think about our gender norms and expectations in our culture? We don't see this image that often, do we? I would suggest not as often as some other images I'm about to show you. I took this out of a magazine that went out of went out of business yeah it was a women's sports magazine that was a lot like Sports Illustrated great magazine lasted two years uh, just couldn't get circulation um, here's here's the contrast this is the, more the contrast that we see there's Lindsey Vaughn an active uh, shot of Lindsey Vaughn and this is the this is the kind of you know that's the shot that we got of her when Sports Illustrated decided to put her on the cover um, it's a pose, you know, it's a, it's a much more pose, kind of pretty shot. Um, how many of you subscribe to Sports Illustrated? I'm just curious. How often, do, Anne, how often do we see uh, women on the cover of Sports Illustrated? <laughs> Occasionally. It's four out of every, there, there been, there's been research on this, four of every 100 SI covers is going to involve a woman, and it's most often that kind of shot, or a much more posed shot, and I'll show you some of those in just a minute, okay? I would suggest that when you only get four out of every, every 100, uh, and if, if it's one of every 20, yes, yeah, tw twice a year on average, right? Twice a year, because they come out 50-something times a year. Um, if you're not seeing much variety, uh, you know, there's a, there's a problem there. Because people will say, well, you know, um, it's okay to have this kind of shot every once in a while. Well, the problem is that that's all we get. Uh, we don't get a lot of variety because women so, so, so seldom appear on the covers. This is more like the kind of shot we tend to get of female athletes. This is another magazine that went out of business. Uh, women's sports magazines really have trouble surviving. I've done a lot of research on that. But this is what we call the girl next door kind of image of female athletes. And I'll show you another one here. This is another uh, Jenny Finch, softball player. Uh, this was one of the two covers in 2007 that had a woman on it. 
So we have Jenny Finch here. And again, scholars have sort of called this the, the girl next door kind of image of female athletes. And maybe you can think of, uh, if you think of the Olympics, the recent Olympics, figure skaters, uh, think about the Winter Olympics, figure skaters are usually cast as kind of this girl next door kind of image. Okay. It's a girl next door, that's exactly right. Yeah, it's a girl next door. Here's a photography and cheesecake. Say that again? There's a fine line between, yeah. What you're saying is really important, and we're going yeah, to get to that in just a minute, because that's a really, she said there's a fine line between sort of this girl next door and then the cheesecake shot. Yeah. <laughs> I get what you're saying. Yeah, okay. All right. The, another image that we see, of, a popular image of female athletes, is sort of the mom and wife image. Now, this is ESPN, the mag do I have any subscribers to ESPN, the magazine in here? Okay, I, subs I subscribe. It's, this tends to go to a younger demographic, which, if you think about it, it's a little worrisome when I read this lead to you. Everybody know who Candace Parker is? Incredible WNBA player. She, this was the cover shot of her. And uh, here's the lead. I'm going to read this to you in case you can't see it from back there. Quote, Candace Parker is beautiful, breathtaking, really, with flawless skin, Endless legs and a seat cup she is proud of but never flaunts. She is also the best at what she does, a record setter, a rule breaker, a redefiner. She is a woman who plays like a man, one of the boys, if the boys had seat cups and flawless skin. She is nice too, sweet even, kind to animals and children. She is the sort of woman who worries about others more than herself, a saint in high tops. So this is that sort of, again, and you could, you could argue this is sort of a combination of the girl next door, but wife, mother kind of emphasis on female athletes. And uh, do you think this lead, the lead to this article is written by a woman or a man? <laughs> it was, no, it was written by a woman. Yeah, I think ESPN, the magazine, would have taken a lot of heat had this lead been written by, by a man. A lot more heat had this lead been written by a man. It was written by a woman. Okay. All right, so. And this was last year, by the way. I wish I could tell you this was 1950, but that's not the case. It was last year. These are the kinds of images that we see a whole lot of. Uh, that's it, another sport. I'm sorry? That's another sport. Okay. <laughs> a whole lot of Serena Williams and uh, the tennis. I can't remember. Thank you, Kornikova, but Danica Patrick, uh, Amanda Beard, Dara Torres, the list goes on and on. If you think of the biggest names in women's sports, uh, part of their branding now, and Danica Patrick refers to it as branding, and she's not the only athlete who does, uh, this kind of highly heterosexualized, hypersexualized image of athletes have really become a staple. Uh, and I followed... Uh, as part of my research, I followed the swimsuit edition of Sports Illustrated over the years. And if you look over the years, we've had a greater and greater percentage of female athletes pose in this swimsuit issue. So it's not just models. It hasn't been models for years, but we're seeing a higher percentage of female athletes pose. They don't get paid anything for posing in, in the swimsuit edition. It really is about branding of these athletes. Uh, and there's a lot of controversy about it, right? I mean, there, there are women's sports advocates who say, stop doing this, please, because you're not helping women's sports. There are other folks who say, look, it's their choice. This is the way they make money. They're not going to make money from, women are not going to make nearly as much money from sports participation from playing. So, you know, where do you draw the line here? I think the big question for us to ask, and I'm going to move on to the next slide to get tired of looking at those images, uh, the question I think we've got to ask is, does it help promote women's sports? In other words, when Serena Williams poses or when Danica Patrick poses or when Dara Torres poses or, you know, I could go on and on, does, does it encourage people to go out and watch more women's sports? Steve? I, I, was, um, I was just struck, and I hadn't thought about it before you said this. It's a great thought-provoking uh, topic. But when you talked about the hypersexualized heterosexual appeal, mm -hmm. There's a lot of evidence that there's a significant demographic of avid WNBA supporters among lesbians. Yes. Is there any evidence in, obviously it's not going to be in the mainstream media, mm -hmm. but is there any evidence of efforts to portray uh, WNBA players 
in a manner that is hypersexualized and not heterosexual in a way to increase and attract uh, patronage among uh, potential lesbian consumers. Have yeah. you noticed that in the media at all? No. In fact, the WNBA has been criticized because it's, uh, and I think rightfully so, because it's working, it's really in some ways turned its back on that lesbian fan base uh, because it's trying so hard to sort of run, unfortunately, to run from uh, the, the, the identity with with uh, lesbian fan base, um, which is really really regrettable. So no, we're not seeing that. We're seeing the WNBA make efforts to instead uh, sort of make their athletes what I call heterosexy, right? Sexy, but in sort of a way to reinforce heterosexuality. Yes. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, are you asking sort of uh, for consumption of, say, a WNBA game, how many folks, what's the proportion of, of fans? For television, let's, let's take television, uh, you've got just as many men watch, sitting down to watch a WNBA game as you do women. It's not very much, but you've got just as many men sitting down to watch those games. And there are all kinds of reasons for that. You know, one of, one of the arguments by women's sports advocates is, Doggone it, women need to sit down and watch these games, and why aren't they? And what I would say is that for, and again, I'm going to break this down, for, for a lot of heterosexual married households where, do you think the, what's the woman going to do? Go rest the remote control out of her husband's hand on Sunday afternoon and say, no, we're going to watch the WNBA? I mean, do we really think that's going to happen? Everybody's yeah. Well, you're right about that, but I would suggest, again, for, for, for a large group of women, women who are heterosexual and sort of in a, in a traditional marriage where they're responsible for the, the, you know, the household chores, when we do focus groups with those women, they say, on the weekend, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to watch what my husband wants to watch because that's the only time I get with him. So, so there are all kinds of factors that play into this. This is a, a really complex issue that involves not just whether or not women want to be sports fans, but whether they can work it into their, their lives. And again, I'm talking about a specific group of women here. Yes? Because are they female or are they not female? Yeah. Um, I don't want to address the second part because I think that that's going off on a, off in an area I don't want to, to, to go into with the sex testing and, and Castor Semenya and, and that sort of thing. I will say that um, I, think there are, I think the reasons for the fan base for women's sports being, being what it is, there, there are lots of, of complex reasons for that. And there are plenty of heterosexual fans for, for women's sports. I, want to make, I do want to make that clear. Uh, Sports. You're exactly right, and that's because the way we've constructed sports in our culture, those values, toughness and assertiveness uh, and physical aggression and those sorts of things are all part and parcel of traditional masculinity in our culture. So for a woman to participate in sports, she's really violating gender norms. Yeah, you're exactly right. I, I, I'm agreeing with you there. Okay. I want to talk a little bit about uh, just the, the promotion of sports leagues, and this goes to the idea that you're talking about, this idea where women have to say, I'm an athlete, but I can be, I can be a woman too. It's like we're going to separate those identities. When the, I don't know how many of you are soccer fans, but when women's professional soccer launched last year, of course, WUSA, the original league that launched in the late 90s, folded. And then we've got a new league now, maybe, I don't know how many of you are aware of it, Women's Professional Soccer, launched about a year ago. And uh, for the unveiling of the Women's Professional Soccer League, they had a fashion show. And I talked to somebody with Women's Professional Soccer, and she told me that this was sort of the bigger news than the launching of the league. And again, and that's, it, it is sad, and it's, it, but again, it's part of our cultures, ideas about gender and what we're comfortable with. And they had the, the unveiling of the league, but they also had the fashion show, and the fashion show got more attention. I've also talked to her about traffic on the women's professional soccer website, you know, because they, they can see where people are going on the website. The athletes who've posed, uh, you know, like uh, thinking of Brandy Chastain and some of these other athletes who've, who've posed uh, in some of those, you called them cheesecake kinds of images, uh, the 
people go to the people go and look at and want to know more about those athletes. That's where the traffic tends to go. Now, other research tells us that if you that at the end of the day, you know, I asked that question earlier. Does it promote women's people going and watching women play sports if they see Serena Williams pose? Or the answer is, according to focus group research, no. <laughs> they want to see the images, but they're not really interested in going and paying paying for the ticket or sitting and watching a game where the women are in uniform and running up and down the court. So. Just some interesting things there. I want to bring up a, how many of you subscribe to the Penn Stater Magazine or see the Penn Stater Magazine? Okay. All right. Then you saw this image last year, and I just want to, want to discuss this just a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Do you remember this? Yeah. I'm sorry? There was some feedback on that. There was some feedback on that. Um, this, were, this was uh, almost a year ago, I think exactly a year ago. This was uh, the cover of the Penn Stater Magazine, the women's volleyball team. And you can see here they've got their fists up. But what strikes you about this photo? It's, a, it's the women's volleyball team, and we don't see a volleyball. There's uh, no story in there either. Yeah, this, yeah, you're right. There was. Yeah, it was just photographs. Two white women in that I'm sorry. Who are the two? You know who the two white women in the picture are? Yeah. Oh boy. Nikki. Uh, Dawson, I. Uh, Cole House and Diorico. There you go. Thank you, because I couldn't remember. Uh, and then I just show you one photo from the inside. This is one photo from the inside of the magazine. And as you said, it was just a pictorial. There was no... Oh, I'm sorry. I, meant, I didn't mention the girl in the middle. She's a state college girl, actually. Hurt herself and didn't play much. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can't remember her name. But... Um, there's, you know, this, they got some criticism, the magazine got some criticism on this because of the lack of an emphasis on athleticism, right? And that lack of emphasis on uh, showing these women in action or showing them in, even in uniform, okay? But again, I would suggest that, that culturally, I think a lot of folks are more comfortable with these kinds of images. I don't know, the heels bother me. Yeah. The heels bother you? Okay. All right. Okay. short guys, too. Okay. <laughs> I don't think they play in those. And the, uh, I'll just read you, uh, this was from a letter to the editor. Somebody wrote, this story is, because this was after, the, you know, a string, uh, one of a string of amazing seasons for this volleyball team, right? And uh, somebody wrote, this story is as big as the 1980 Miracle on Ice hockey team, and you really served one into the net. So, so the magazine did get some criticism for this. Okay, so just wanted to bring it, bring it around to, to Penn State. All right, let's keep going. I'm going to run out of, we're going to run out of time before I run out of slides, but the conversation here is, is, is really good. I appreciate that. Now, some folks would say, look, uh, well, you know, is this, uh, is this sort of, you know, if, it's, if we have the hypersexualization of female athletes, can we just even it out? Right by having uh, these kinds of images of male athletes. Uh, this is the ESPN body issue. Got a lot of attention. This was a few months ago. ESPN decided it was going to answer Sports Illustrated. Uh, Sports Illustrated makes a lot of money off of its swimsuit issue. So ESPN decided to do a body issue. And one thing that ESPN did was it featured, you know, it features nude female athletes. Uh, it's one of them. There are many here, but it also featured, you know, these kinds of shots of male athletes. So my question to you is: Is this progress? <laughs> is this is this the answer? There's nothing wrong with the human body. Yep. 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 No, I, I agree with you. This, the ESPN body issue to me is fascinating. It's, it's fascinating on all kinds of levels. Um, but some folks would say, like, for instance, when I tell my students, you know, let's talk about the sexualization of female athletes, I always have students say, well, look, we're doing it to men now, too. What's the problem? And what I would answer in return and what I do say in return is if you take the overall, the overall number of images, if we look at the big picture, what percentage are we getting of this, and then what percentage of the big pie when we look at images of female athletes? 
are these sort of hypersexual feminized images. And so you have to look at proportion. And this is such a small proportion, it's almost like the exception's proven the rule here. We just don't get much of this. Uh, the ESPN Body Magazine also challenged the body ideal for women. Oh dear. ESPN's body issue, right? We had a couple of body images here that don't get a lot of uh, attention uh, for women. So it certainly challenged that body ideal, right? This sort of the same kind of image over and over again. We had a shot putter, and they get very little attention, bless you. And then we had a, a Paralympian here. Uh, there was a classic photo in some magazine that I passed on to the men's volleyball team because it picked their missing May. You know, beach volleyball. Uh -huh, uh -huh. However, this was stretched out doing a dig, and Carson Raleigh, the male Olympian, was commenting on every part of her body and how it contributed to a perfect dig. Huh. Now, Interesting. Bio biomechanics or. Yeah. Yeah, and it was, yeah. It was very tastefully done. It was also a beautiful picture. Uh huh. Uh huh. So there's an, a nice example of focus on the body without exploitation. Oh, yeah, Steve. Um, I'm interested. In, I, I maybe I'm jumping, but I'm inferring that you are um, thinking that there is a link between these portrayals and going back to how we approach sports. And I'm wondering if. You, whether that's true or whether they're both simply stemming from the same source. In other words, do, in your opinion, do these pictures, are they actively perpetuating and make uh, traditional gender roles and making it harder to find other ways and increasing the cognitive dissonance? Or, alternatively, do you have a situation where we start with a foundation of traditional sex roles and some people are trying to make money by appealing to that on the court or at an event, and other people are trying to make money out of that by getting people to see attractive people in magazines, but they're really just coming from the same source, and it, this is really just unrelated or just simply other evidence of your first point. You yeah, I do, and I would. It's it's the second thing you said. In other words, I don't believe that there's some sort of conspiracy here. I really don't. I believe that we operate. There's a there's a theory called gender schema theory, and basically what it says is somewhere deep down, most of us, whether we realize it or not, are wed to the idea that we need gender we need gender roles the way they're set up so that society will function the way it should function. That if we move too far off of these gender roles we have, that things could go kind of haywire. And so, uh, so it would, would go from there. No, that's okay. Other comments? Well, that. that's a good we question. We really don't want things to change. That's, a, to me, that's a really important question. That's where the question is, the way it should or the way it has. Yeah. Yes, has. you're right. Yeah, yep. We can talk about shoulds all day long. Shoulds only work if everybody participates in the shoulds. And then, then we have to ask about whether or not, whether or not we really uh, believe in the shoulds. Hey, one thing you haven't brought up yet is about uh, girls, high school girls in uh, this group of, uh, you know, aiming to get scholarships, financial funding. Yeah, yeah. And the families promoting. Yeah. Uh, are you talking about the increasing pressure on, yeah. on these athletes? Yeah. yeah. And I, yeah. Uh, you know, and that's, this is a, to me, is, is not just a, uh, an issue for female athletes, but for male athletes, yeah. too, at the high school level, at the prep level, and even younger now, right? Uh, and to, it's interesting you bring that up, and this is going to get me a little off topic, but the Curley Center for, for Sports Journalism, I put some brochures back there if you're interested in learning more about it, but we're very interested in what's going on at the youth sports level and coverage of, the, of youth sports on the national level, and, and is that really where we want to head with youth sports? Uh, are we emphasizing entertainment over all the, for youth sports? over all those values that we say that we're dumping tax dollars into sports for. Yeah? That's one thing I've been thinking about all into mm -hmm. doing, but it's usually just 
exercises. We don't really have sports that we carry into adult life. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, you're making a very good point, and one I think that's important, and that is that we we do whether we consciously think it about about it or not. I think we, we really distinguish between the sports participant sports and spectator sports and they're not they, there's not a lot of overlap there for sports for widespread participation and sports in which we really just want to watch and consume uh, and I do think gender roles play a part in that yeah you're bringing up a, a, a really good point but thank you for asking about youth sports because that that's important uh, and we're looking closely at the way youth sports are covered because we, we do think that's important. Um, I want to talk for a minute about bright spots. It's not, I don't want to make it all bad news, right? It's best of times, worst of times, but we've got some, some things to celebrate here. And I just want to point some of these out. How many of you spend much time on the Internet? I do. I spend lots of time. I'm not the only one. Uh, how many of you have heard of uh, Women Talk Sports? I'm just curious. Has anyone heard of that? If you're a women's sports fan, you'd probably really like Women Talk Sports. It's a consortium of bloggers. And this is what we're seeing. Social media, women are, women's sports are able to use social media in new and really uh, interesting ways to promote women's sports. You don't have that gatekeeper anymore, right? That media decision maker who may be, there may be all kinds of reasons why media gatekeepers are saying, look, we don't, we're not going to invest in coverage of women's sports. The Internet allows and social media, Twitter, Facebook, the whole, you probably know, it's, Jason, you're the, you probably know a lot more about this than, than I do, but all the, the different ways women's sports can use social media, and that's what we're seeing. Women Talk Sports, again, is a consortium of bloggers. I've done some research with that consortium, uh, and they're doing some really powerful work and some good work in, in drawing sports fans and the traffic on that site just continues to grow. So if you're a women's sports fan, I suggest I uh, would urge you to, to take a look at that. Okay. Um, other bright spots that I, that I uh, want to mention to you, uh, I'm going to look at my notes here. Um, oh, we continue to get uh, attention on some really phenomenal female athletes. I mean, we're seeing, especially around the time of the Olympics, we get some attention on some phenomenal female athletes. We also see the growth of women's sports leagues. In other words, we, we do get some failures and some struggles. Don't get me wrong. The WNBA is still struggling. We've had women's sports leagues fold, but the great thing is we're get, women's sports advocates get back out there. And with the institutionalized help of, of organizations like the Women's Sports Foundation, uh, we see these leagues uh, continue to, to try to grow and to, to be relaunched. So that's, that's good news, too. Um, I want to talk about one other thing, and, and maybe you'll have some comments on that. I'll just t tell you an assumption I hear a lot, and, and you tell me what you think of this, because I get this comment a lot. If more women were covering women's sports, or if more, I'm sorry, if more women were, were in sports media, they had more jobs covering sports, we'd see more women's sports. You think that's true? No. I think so. Okay, we get a yes, we get a no. Did you say who said no? Why not? I don't know, it just doesn't seem like it makes a difference whether a male or a female is reporting on it. Okay. All right. You know, certainly we saw that lead on that Candace Parker story, right? Written by a woman. But there's been an argument that, and I hear this a lot, that if we had more women, say, working in sports departments or more women at Yahoo Sports or more women at ESPN, that those women would say, you know what, we need to cover more women's sports, and I'll do it. I raise my hand, I'll do it. And what we found with our research, and this is an area we've done a lot of research on because we're interested in this because of the number of women we have in our center. We're always looking at what are the working conditions for women in mediated sports. And what we find is that that's not really true because women figure out very quickly that to cover women's sports means you're at the lowest salary level. You know, it's the worst working conditions. And you get the worst possible things to cover. They want, they, so they tend to run from it. And women tend to split right down the middle. I mean, if I, want to get, if I want to get a divisive issue going in a focus group, if I've got female sports journalists sitting around the table, I'll just say, do you, do I, do you think you should advocate for women's sports? And they'll split literally right down the middle. And the ones who argue strongly for it are the older women who've been around for a while, and they're saying, look, 
we got to do something about this. And the younger they women who are getting better salaries and everything. Right, right. They've and done they their time. The choice places. Yeah, you're exactly right. Exactly right. Where are we seeing more women uh, covering sports? Because I think there are some areas of our culture we are seeing more women covering sports. Basketball. Yep, and where are we seeing them? And football, too, but where are we seeing women in, when we think? Sidelines. Side that sideline reporter role is where we're seeing them. Yep, yep. And I'm not, I'm not trying to denigrate that role. I would... I just want to throw this out, that networks, when, when networks sort of publicly speculate about cutting jobs, I mean, CBS and ESPN, last time they sort of public, publicly speculated about where they thought they might cut, they were talking about the sideline role. I mean, that, that role is seen as disposable. Yeah, Steve? I, I, don't, I wonder if there's been any empirical content analysis work about that, because, again, one of the issues is do you want to... Uh, use existing general social notions for positive advantage or you just want to break them down. Yep. And one of my anecdotal non-scientific observations is that the, when the sideline reporter was initially started, it was guys, mm -hmm. and it, they were sickeningly sycophantic. And one of the things about the very good women's sideline reporters is they are gaining a national reputation yeah. because they are able to ask some the sort of really, you know, the two questions you really need to be asking instead of these sort of softballs that the coaches just answer in cliche. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if anybody's ever investigated that, and perhaps in ways that the coach wouldn't put up with. If they have to stop at a sideline and answer some, you know, ugly mug, they're not going to take those sort of questions. Whereas if it's, you know, a well-known, famous, attractive female, she can get away with asking the sort of hard questions that consumers want. Has there been any research on on, on no, but you know what? Remember what I said at the beginning about I want to leave here with a research idea? That's a good one. Thank you, Steve. So I appreciate that. Okay. Um, we're coming up on 1 o'clock. Any final comments, questions, issues? Yeah. Uh, Title IX, I wonder if you could tell me about how Penn State ranks. Are the women's athletics here at Penn State, do they get half the athletic money? And this is including football, of course. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I. I can't. I couldn't answer that. My guess is that I'll just tell you this: most universities are out of compliance. It's like twenty, eighty percent of universities are out of compliance on Title IX. There was a story today in the CBT, and it mentioned that just one, only one of the university's athletic directors even wanted to talk about compliance. Yeah, Title IX is really divisive, especially in hard economic times. The headline was that football is the enemy of Title IX. Yeah. Here at Penn State, I would say football supports Title IX. Exactly. That's exactly right. Yeah. There are as many women's sports as men's, the number of them. Well, the reason that, that football is considered the, the enemy of Title IX is because football involves such big numbers, right, that when we think that when schools have to comply with Title IX, and again, a lot of them just don't comply and they cross their fingers and hope nobody complains. I mean, the way Title IX is enforced is somebody's got to complain to the OCR, and, and then there a series of things happens. But that's, I mean, yeah, football has been seen as, as one, of, one of the big problems with Title IX compliance because of the number of players on the roster. And then, you've got, and then that's why you have more women's sports teams. So you may have fewer female athletes overall, but more women's sports teams, and that's because that football team is so big and you've got so many scholarships there. Well, some male uh, coaches or uh, men's sports coaches are complaining about Sure, sure they do. Yes. Yep. And there's a suggestion to reduce the number of scholarships allowed to 50. Yep, yep for football. football. Yep, yep. And I think it's going to be more than just Title IX that drives those sorts of cost-cutting measures, because I'll just leave it with this, but the college, college athletics, the business model for college athletics is headed toward a cliff. It's not sustainable in many ways. And Steve, you probably know as much or more than I do about that. So, Well then join me please in thanking Marie Hardin for a very thought-provoking session. And we have a mug oh, for thank you. you.